The world is changing. Everything has shifted, including how we relate to each other. We hear, but we do not listen. We're together, but feel alone. We speak, but struggle to communicate. It doesn't have to be this way. We can all adjust the way we relate to one another. Yeah, well, last week we kicked off this series. Today is going to be part two. Last week we made this shift, right? We wanted to switch or shift from loneliness and isolation to connection. The whole idea of this series is that over the last three years, our world has changed and we have changed with it. And unfortunately, with those changes, um, we picked up some bad habits along the way. And so what we wanted to do for the next six weeks is really, or I guess five weeks now, is really make a shift in the way that you and I relate to one another. Because again, we picked up some bad habits along the way, and so we have to shift our perspective, shift our approach. And the most important thing in this series is all about the pronunciation of the word shift. That F is really important. Otherwise, it's a completely different series with a completely different word. So just file that away, and um, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll make it all the way through. Now, this morning, I want to start off with a fundamental truth. This is something that each and every one of us do. And in fact, if the person next to you is shaking their head, no, they don't, you have my permission to call them out and probably tell them that they're a big fat liar and they have to be honest in church, okay? So here's the fundamental truth that we all do. Listen. We all do this. Here's what we do. There it is. It's human nature to avoid things we don't like. Amen? We all do this. We absolutely, each and every one of us do this. Just to get personal for me, vegetables. I avoid them like crazy. I know they're good for me. I know that they would make me healthy. I know that they would do a lot of things to bless my life and make my life better. Nonetheless, I think they taste like garbage. So I avoid them like crazy. Exercise, I know it's good for me, but I really like to sleep. So I avoid it like crazy. Other people waking up early in the morning so that they can eat a proper breakfast and exercise. It's really, really good. But for me, I like sleep. I don't want to do any of it. So I avoid those things. Also, if we're honest, don't you also avoid people who wake up early, only eat vegetables and talk about exercise all the time? I can't stand those people. Simply because I wish I had your discipline and I'm secretly jealous. Well, I guess publicly now, now the secret's out. I am jealous of your, your, your drive and commitment to it. So these are things we don't like, but what happens when we shift from things to people? It becomes a totally different game, right? So what do we do, what, what do, we do when uh, we come across people who do things we don't like? How do we engage with those people? And to be honest, we don't engage very well. We avoid those people. Um, I, I think it's really weird when people eat food and they can't have the food on their plate touch the other food on their plate. I think you're weird, so I avoid you. We will never have lunch together, especially during Thanksgiving, by the way. It's a giant plate. It's, the food is all there. How are you going to compartmentalize the gravy? Do you know what I mean? Like it rolls, it's all over the place. People who do things that we don't like, listen, this is just preference. Don't be, some of you are personally offended by the last comment. It was meant to be a joke. Relax, you're fine. <laughs> this is preference. I just, you know, this is just my preference to have all the food be able to touch all the other food. It's fine. I'm a big community guy, group hog. I like everything just to touch. This second part right here changes everything. 
What do we do with people who do and say things that go against our ideals and our values? Well, we tend to avoid them. Why? Because this is very personal. The top one is preference. I like these things. I don't really like those things. This one is personal. It's about me. It's about my identity. It's about how I view the world. And so like you, I probably do the same thing is that when we run into these people, we tend to avoid them. But here's the next question. What do you do when you can't avoid these people? Like you always run into these people. You can't avoid them. They're just there. Well, what we tend to do, I think, is we all, um, what's the best way to say this? We essentially write people off. And when we write other people off, what we're really doing is we are elevating ourselves and placing the other person beneath us. Because we elevate ourselves and go, I don't like what they do. They stand against me. And, and don't they know that I am right? So, so we have this elevated sense of self where like I am better and they are beneath me because they're wrong or they're foolish or they're weird or whatever the case may be. So not only are we trying to avoid people, but we're, we're also when we withdraw and we cut them off, we're elevating ourselves. So now we got some pride stuff going on as well. The best situation that I can do to kind of place all of us in so we all have this feeling, we all understand what this feels like is the dreaded group project in high school. How many of you group project in high school, you had one of these and you hated it? Okay, seriously, how many of you went to high school? I had like four hands go up. When you go to high school, everyone does a group project, okay? You all know exactly what I'm talking about. And here's what happens in high school. You have all these secret alliances, right? Like you're forging relationships and things, you know, you got your team and they got their team and, you know, so-and-so said something or they posted something online and it hurt you and it wasn't a preference thing, it was personal. Like it got, it got real, it was personal. And so now we're trying to avoid one another, but it's high school, we have to take some of the same classes, so I can't really avoid them because we're in the same class. And so what do you do, right? You, you set up with your group of people, you're in this corner of the class and that person that you're trying to avoid and you've withdrawn, you know, you've crossed them out of your life. They're, they're gone, they're dead to you. They're on the other side of the class. And then you show up and the teacher has a brilliant idea that they just, you know, conceived the night before. And they say, class, we're going to redo the seating chart. And you know what's gonna happen. The person that you have cut off, you've withdrawn from, you have written them off, they are dead to you, all of a sudden are sitting right next to you. And then the teacher goes, class, this may or may not be like a personal experience of mine. Anyways, they go, class, we're going to do a group project. And so with the four people sitting next to you, that is your group. And in your mind, you're going, okay, please only be a week, please only be a week. And then the teacher goes, and this assignment will go throughout the rest of the semester. <laughs> What do you do when you can't avoid them? You're stuck with them. Inevitably, we write them off because they're foolish, they're annoying, they're, they're dishonest. Um, you, you, can't, you can't trust them with anything. They gossip. Whatever the reason is, when you can't avoid someone, you withdraw from them completely. You write them off. They are dead to you. Now, if you're a Christian, this is a problem. If you're not a Christian, don't worry about it. Enjoy the rest of the service and hope it's, you know, hope you have a great Sunday. I would encourage you not to write people off. I just feel like that's a good practice regardless of if you follow Jesus or not. But for those of us that do follow Jesus, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, he gave what is called the great commission. Meaning he told all of his disciples, all of his followers, he said, he said, all power and authority in heaven on earth rests in me. Because of that, I'm going to command you 
to go. And he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. That means everybody on the earth, just to clarify. Disciples of every single nation. If there's a nation, make disciples there. That's what he's saying to do. So Christians, we don't have, I guess, the luxury, so to speak, to write people off and to avoid people. We are literally commanded to engage and influence people from our Lord and Savior. He says, I want you, that person that you don't get along with, I want you to go and make them a disciple. Meaning I want you to make them a student of me. Like I said, if you're a Christian, this whole idea of of cutting people off, writing them off, this is a big problem. If you're not a Christian, relax, enjoy the rest of the service. But here's why we can't do this. Here's why we can't do this. Because when I avoid you, I can't influence you. When I write you off, I won't influence you. Those are two drastically different statements. If I avoid you, I can't because we have no proximity. There's no way for me to influence you and nudge you towards Jesus. When I write you off completely, when you're dead to me, I won't influence you, which means I won't make disciples of all nations. I'm refusing to do this. So we have a massive, massive problem that we as Christians don't have the luxury of simply just looking the other way and ignoring. Now, this isn't a uniquely Christian problem. This is a human problem. All of us suffer with this idea. There's people that annoy us, and so we avoid them. Then there's people that have hurt us, and we take it a step further, and we write them off. In the last couple of years, it's been rebranded. We call it cancel culture. And we have legitimate reasons to cancel people and really not legitimate reasons to go and cancel people. But essentially, we just, we just sit there and say, all right, I've canceled you. I'm, I'm done with you. I don't support you. I don't think the world should, should support you. Excuse me. So we're all just going to go and, and cancel you. Well, what have we done? That's not avoiding. We have now written a human being off. We've cut them off from everything. We will not influence them towards Jesus. That's the decision we have made. This is not a Christian problem. This is a human problem. And like I said, in the last three years, this has bubbled up to the surface and become a massive, massive problem. But it's okay. We have the solution to this problem. And the solution is always Jesus. But for you and I, followers of Jesus, we have to make a massive shift in the way that we relate, that, in the way that we relate to people. People that, quite frankly, we get annoyed at sometimes. And the way that we relate to people that have hurt us personally. They disagree with our value system, the way that we view the world, etc. We have to make the shift. So, here's the shift. We need to shift from writing people off to winning others over. That is our command as Christians. We have to shift from writing people off, regardless of the reason, to winning others over. And like I said, this is not a new problem. This has been going on for at least the first century. In fact, this is so common that we're going to read a story about how Jesus interacted with this exact situation. And apparently it was really important to him to the point where he said, print it. Let's put that in the Bible. This is a big deal because my people in 2022 are going to need to read this and apply it to their lives. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter six, Luke chapter six is where we're going to pick it up. And I I, I simply want to set the scene of what's happening right here. I want to set the scene. Jesus has just done some miracles. He has just done some teaching. The Sabbath day is approaching. Loads of people are coming. They want to follow him. They're curious about his teachings. They want to learn from him. They want to be around him. Why? Because he's doing a great job influencing 
people. He's healing people. He's teaching about God's kingdom. There are amazing things that are happening right now. On the Sabbath day, Jesus heals a man's hand of leprosy. Incredible. A miracle has taken place. And the religious leaders of the day are all up in arms. They want to write Jesus off. They want everyone, that large crowd of people that's going with him, they want them to cancel Jesus because it's the Sabbath day and you don't do anything on the Sabbath day. You do nothing because you love God. And Jesus goes and heals a guy with a leprous hand. This is a big no-no according to the Pharisees. But for Jesus, well, this is important. This is foundational to what it means to love God and love your neighbor. So we have this tension that's building. So Jesus sneaks away, he goes and he prays. And he's praying about the next stage of ministry he's going to enter into, recruiting his disciples. And this is where our story picks up. Remember, large crowd of people, handful of people who are following and listening to the teachings of Jesus. So here we go. Luke chapter six, pick it up in verse 13. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. A large crowd of people, they're all students. Here's here's what these two words mean. These are important, disciple and apostle. Here's what they mean. Disciple, Mathetes, is a follower or a student. So you and I, if we follow Jesus Christ, we are students of Jesus, meaning we're gonna learn from him how to live our life like he would live our life if he was here today. Does this make sense? That is what we're doing. We're taking the teachings of, D- of Jesus because we're students, we're learning them and applying them to our daily lives. This is what we're doing. An apostle, apostolos, is a messenger sent out with authority. So you're a disciple. There's a large group of disciples and Jesus picks 12 of them and makes them apostles, meaning he's gonna send them out with his gospel message with authority as if Jesus were saying it himself. So you take students, a large group of students, and you make 12 of them apostles. Here's what's fascinating about the 12 he picks. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. Simon, who he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew. Verse 15. Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. File that away in your brain for a hot second. Matthew is a tax collector. Then you keep going. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the what? The what? Okay, file away zealot and file away tax collector. We'll talk about that in a second. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, uh, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Remember those two words? This is incredible. Remember, this is Jesus picking his inner circle. This is incredible. You have one of them that is a tax collector. Matthew is a tax collector. What that means is he has turned his back on his own people. He has betrayed them. He has deserted them. He now works for Rome. He's a Jewish man collecting taxes from Jewish people and giving it to Rome. If you're a Jew, you hate this individual and any sort of individual that is one of your people and is giving to Rome. You don't want to be ruled by Rome. You want your own land. What's fascinating about tax collectors, they are, um, they, basically their, their allegiance is to Rome. Rome is employing them, but Rome does not pay them. So in order for them to make a living, they must take a little extra off the top. So if Rome says 10% is taxes, go to all your people, collect 10% and give it to us. Tax collectors will take five to 10% and they'll keep that for themselves. Cause you know, they have to pay the light bill and the mortgage and all that stuff too, right? Oil in the car, like they have to live as well. And so everyone knew if you were a Jew, you betrayed us. And not only have you betrayed us, you are getting rich off of our backs. You are not one of us. That's what it means to be a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector in the first century. 
That's one person Jesus picks. The other one is the what? What's the other word? Do you remember? Zealot. Zealot. Zealots are a political party and their sole focus is to overthrow Roman rule. They do this through violence. They want, to raise, they want an uprising to occur and to overthrow Roman rule so that they, so that the Jews can rule their own nation once again. Jesus has those two right there. Can you just feel the tension that's occurring? I mean, fundamentally, they vastly disagree with one another on, on their occupation. Politically, night and day. And you know Jesus made them roommates. Like as they're traveling around, he's like, uh, James and John, you guys will be in that tent. Simon and Matthew, you guys are in that tent. And everyone just kind of like, hee, hee, wonder what's going to happen. And they just yell at each other. They are radically, listen, radically different people with radically different views. And yet their allegiance to Jesus is stronger than their political persuasion. They are both underneath the umbrella of Christ. And what I find fascinating is it doesn't seem to bother Jesus one bit. You don't hear a teaching about it. And you know Simon the Zealot was furious when Jesus does the teaching on giving. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. It doesn't seem to bother Jesus one bit. And yet these two, these are enemies. They can't stand each other. So that, that's the scene. You got a large group of people, you got 12 of them. It's like if we just, we're sitting right here and we march 12 people up and you're like, okay, these are all the apostles of Jesus Christ. And like two of them are up here and you're like, oh, you're that and you're, oh, oh this ought to be good. Let's stay tuned and watch the show play out. And then here's what Jesus says. Keep reading. Only Jesus can do this stuff. Jump down to verse 27. He says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies And everyone's going, oh yeah, it's Matthew and Simon. Here we go. Then he says, do good to those who hate you. They hate each other. Bless those who curse you. Well, they've cursed each other. And pray for those who mistreat you. Well, they, they have mistreated one another. Now, if you're familiar with this teaching, it's on the Sermon on the Mount in, in the book of Matthew, but this is Luke's version. But again, I want us to look at it through this lens of you've got two guys who are radically different, who see the world differently from one another. And yet, and yet, their allegiance to Jesus supersedes everything else. Jesus keeps going. Verse 29, he says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Tax collectors, zealots, Says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Zealots, tax collectors, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And here it is, the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You ever been in a group setting Sometimes this happens to me at church. Um, but you have someone teaching in the group setting and, and it just feels like they're talking right to you and you have this like, oh no, they know. <laughs> and you just like, you don't look to your spouse or your friend. You're just like eyes on the prize, like center stage. You're just looking. But you know, he's talking about you. <laughs> and not only is he talking about you, he's talking about you and that other person that you had that falling out with, that big disagreement, that big argument, that angry fest. 
You're just like, mm, he's talking about us. How does he know? Because it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He knows. And I just wonder how many people in the group in that large crowd are like, yeah, he's talking to you guys. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Essentially what Jesus is saying is he's like, guys, sinners love sinners. So Christians, my disciples, can't you go and love sinners? Why, why all the arguing? Why all the bickering? Why all the fighting? Turn the other cheek. Give them more. Bless them. It's that understanding that this is what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. This is what Jesus is going to do for all of his disciples and for the world. He's like, I'm not having a conversation about what is right and wrong. I'm going to win the the world over by love. And in doing so, people will understand and know right from wrong. This is powerful. This is amazing right here. Keep going. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. A.K.A. Matthew and Simon. And he finishes up this way, verse 36. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Would you agree we need to shift our approach with people? And if we act this way, the world would be a radically different place. So here's the deal. Here's what we're shifting from. We need to shift from writing people off to winning others over. And if I could just be personal in a second, um, for me, I need to get to the point where I stop justifying my mistreatment or poor treatment of another human being even if I have a Bible verse to back it up. Just because I'm right or stand on a higher moral ground does not give me the authority to go and mistreat or devalue another human being because my Lord and Savior commanded me to love my enemies. I can't do it. And what we do as Christians, instead of winning one another over, you look at Christianity in in America right now, we we write one another off. And not only that, we say, you need to avoid those people. We're going to cancel them. We're going to write them off. Let's come hang out right over here. We're going to do our thing. And we go a step further. And we say, not only are we going to write them off, but, but we need to boycott that. We need to stand up against that. We need to boycott that. As it, I just think if you want to go and change a company, don't, don't, boy, don't boycott it. Like, get hired by that company. Do a really good job. Bring all your friends to that company. Get employed by that company. Get promoted, 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 and run the company and make the shift. Win people over, don't write people off. It's a big, big shift in the way that we approach the world. And it's what Jesus is doing with his disciples here, not just with the 12, but with the two. We have to shift from writing people off, building walls, avoiding one another, because we can't influence when we don't have relationship. We can't influence people towards the gospel if we don't have relationship. We have to break that down and win them over. Now, I want to say this before we jump to application, because you're like, oh man, you know, we're in this thing and he hasn't even hit the three points. They're coming and they'll be quick. This is a process that does not happen overnight. These are bad habits that we've picked up along the way. And this shift 
It's going to take time. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take a lot of encouragement. Because this isn't valued outside of the church. Our, our world isn't preaching this shift. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Do what you got to do to get ahead. And yet, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says there's a different approach. I want you to love the people that you consider enemies. I want you to model what it looks like to love one another. To do unto others as you would have them do to you. So here's what he says. Um, Sorry, let me back up. Jesus has his disciples and he teaches them this. The apostle Paul, he has a disciple. His name is Timothy. Timothy is a student of Paul. And in many respects, Timothy is a lot like us. And I want to read two verses that will help us apply this thing to our lives. So 2 Timothy, in your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. This is fascinating to me. And the Lord's servant must not be... I got real quiet. I put it in bold to try and make it a little easier to read. We'll underline it next time. And the Lord's servant, which is all of us, if you follow Jesus Christ... He's Lord, we're the servant, just to be clear. And the Lord's servant must not be fighting and arguing. That's quarrelsome. But must be kind to everyone. What is it about it when you get those commands and you're like, everyone? Mm," Like I immediately search for the loophole. (laughs) I think what that is is sin. I think the Lord still needs to correct a couple things within me. By the way, I don't think I'm the only one. There, thank you. (laughs) Must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Paul's like, let me reiterate, Timothy, just in case you forgot the quarrelsome piece up here. When you teach, don't do it out of resentment. Don't do it out of, I told you so. Don't do it out of, I'm better than you. Don't do it out of any of that. Be kind. And you need to teach, not resentful. Opponents, people that are adamantly against the gospel, not apathetic, but adamantly against the gospel. Opponents must be gently, gently, both words are, are crucial, gently instructed. Don't miss this. Some of you are like, dude, just read the verse. Hang with me. Be kind, don't be quarrelsome. When you teach, don't do it out of resentment. By the way, when you teach, gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And isn't that how you and I came to a knowledge of the truth? I look back on my life and the people that radically changed my life did this. No argument, maybe one, I doubt it. I can't think of one. Let's just say no. I don't think any argument has ever persuaded me to run towards Jesus. You know what persuaded me? Grace, love, forgiveness, second and third, fourth, fifth chances, kindness, even when I was a jerk. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, here's how you love your enemies. Here's how you pray for them. You do, you do it this way. One more verse. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
when I have that context, as I look at people who do not follow Jesus, all of a sudden I'm filled with compassion. Not this superiority complex that I have. Where I go, this person's clearly an idiot. They don't see things the way I do. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's because of this. There is, in fact, a spiritual battle going around. We know this, right? And I have to remind all of us, myself included, people are never the enemy. The enemy is the devil. Our job is to go and love people. Our job is to be kind to them. Our job is to go and convince them that Jesus is real and Jesus is love. And we do that by the way that we live our lives. So quickly, here's the three points. Number one, here's how we actually make this shift from writing people off to winning others over. Number one, stop arguing and fighting. No resentment, no quarreling. That's, that's what that means. Stop arguing and fighting. It's things that I have to uh, say to my children and I have to say to myself periodically as I look at myself in the mirror and I have to look at myself and say, Steve, stop it. Simon and Matthew. You got a Levite, or sorry, a zealot, and a tax collector. They had to stop it for the sake of the gospel. Jesus said, you 12 will be my apostles. You will be my messengers. You have to get along with one another if you want to go and actually model this gospel truth. You gotta stop it. Number two, be kind always to everyone, always. And again, I wanna reiterate, what is it about those words always that makes me want to find the loophole? What if we did that, by the way? What if we just stopped arguing with people and we were kind to them all the time? Even if, if we were right and they were wrong. What, like, think of your family for a moment. What if you just did that for a day? Wouldn't that fix a lot of things? I don't know if you know it, Thanksgiving's, you know, it's around the corner. We're gonna get that family gathering. What if we did those two things? No fighting, all kindness. <laughs> That'd be one for the books, wouldn't it? There's, uh, there's a man by the name of Dallas Willard. He's, he's passed, but he's, um, he, he's one of my heroes. He's a brilliant thinker. Uh, he's a theologian. He's a philosopher. And he worked at um, USC. And he tells this story of lecturing in a class. He's doing a, a philosophy lecture. And he's talking about the existence of God, of creation, and all these things, and how we know this to be true or not true. And, and so inevitably, you finish your lecture and you have Q&A. And so a handful of students, they, you know, they've got questions and they're kicking it back and forth. And then finally, one of them adamantly disagrees with Dallas and he stands up and he just goes off. It's like religion, like this is the dumbest thing ever. There's so many religions, all roads, you know, you just need to be a good person. All roads lead to heaven, whatever heaven is. This is just a crutch for people like you who don't have any, you know, strength and character. You need something to lean on, like build yourself up and just like go. And the Bible is just cr- and just boom, 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 all the way through. And then finally the guy sits down. And it, man, the tension in the room, like you could, you could hear a pin drop. And so Dallas just kind of stands there and he says, well, I think that's enough for today, class. You're dismissed. We'll see you tomorrow. People kind of shuffle out and they go. You got a group of, of Christians that are in that class and they're like, Dallas, why didn't you say anything? Like you're, you're one of the most brilliant people alive. Like you, you understand this thing. You've got great responses to this person. Why, why didn't you set them straight? Why didn't you defend the faith? Why didn't you rise up and go do something? 
And Dallas, in the most gentle way possible, just stands there and says, I'm practicing the loving discipline of not having to have the last word. Wow. What if we did that? Dallas was right. But he was reserved. And he led with kindness. He could have easily... the guy's a brain on a stick. He could have probably convinced the guy that he didn't even exist. I mean, just, you know, just a, just, he could have just done it. He's just a, a philosophy like brain. But he says, I, I don't have to have the last word. You know what that does? That stops quarrels. And it's kind, always. And here's the third thing I think we all need to do. Number three, teach others about Jesus. And I don't just mean about who he is and what he's done but teach others about Jesus and what he's done in our life. I'm not just teaching right and wrong. I'm teaching what Jesus has done in my life and how my life has radically changed. And we don't have time, but I imagine if we were to go around the room and pass a microphone, everyone would would say a lot of the same things. We would have people that say, Jesus has taught me that my life um, is worth living. Jesus has taught me that I have second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. Jesus has taught me that forgiveness is foundational to any relationship. Jesus has taught me that he is trustworthy. Jesus has taught me that his timing is way better than my timing. And we could go all the way around the room and go, Jesus has taught me this, he's taught me this, and he's taught me this. And you know what we we wouldn't do? We wouldn't fight with one another about it. Instead, we would nod our heads and go, yeah, I've been there. I've learned that one too. We, we would be so kind to one another because we would see other people and we would go, you look different than me, but like your story is my story. And we'd have a chance to share and talk and love one another. We have to make this shift from writing one another off. I'm not just talking in the church, although that clearly applies as well, but to the world as well. We have to shift from writing one another off to winning each other over. We are on the same team. People are not the enemy. And I'm convinced, listen, I'm convinced when we do this, when we make this shift, people notice because it's not being modeled anywhere. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling each and every one of us, myself included, church, like the time is so ripe for this. The time is now for this, for us to rise up and lead the way in kindness and put to death all these arguments and really just learn to love one another, our enemies, who we disagree with, who we see the world radically different than they do. We have all these things that are stacked up against us. Each and every one of us, our Simons and our Matthews, for us to put all that aside and say, Jesus is more important than my my preference on these topics. And when we do that, and when we love our neighbor, people notice and they ask questions. And again, we get the honor and the glory to introduce them to Jesus. But this is difficult and this is a process. So we're going to need some help along the way from the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray. Holy Spirit, first and foremost, We come before you and we ask for your guidance and your strength to follow through. I've picked up some bad habits over the last three years. So Lord, would you help me make that shift? I want to be a gatherer of people 
of all walks of life where people can come to church. We can have coffee. We can have lunch and share a meal and we can encourage one another. We can be kind to one another and we can share how Jesus has radically changed our lives. You are in fact the hope of the world. Help us be a people that are focusing on winning others to you and not writing them off. Help us to see people the way that you see people. I pray, Lord, our passion would burn so bright that people would see you not in our stances on topics, but in the way that we relate to one another because you have given us life, you have given us hope, and you have given us a beautiful future. Help us to walk in that. And Father, I'd be remiss if there were people in this room or streaming online that don't know you to bypass this opportunity. So if you're here watching online or you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, would you simply repeat these words? You, you can make them their own. You simply say, Jesus, I don't understand everything, but I know that you love me, that you forgive me, and I want to live a life full of that reality. Would you teach me what it means to be your disciple? Would you teach me how to love people the way you love people? Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, for loving me unconditionally. I want to love others the way that you do as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you pray that prayer, there is a party going on in heaven. The angels are singing and rejoicing. And I, I feel like we ought to do the same here as well. So with that attitude, with that atmosphere, I wanna invite you all to stand up and sing. We're gonna close by singing one last worship song. Come on, let's stand.